Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning again. It is uh, Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio's Morning with Mornings with Carmen. Mm-hmm. And um, if I haven't told you lately, I love you. Like, I genuinely love and appreciate you and value this time together. So thank you so much for the gift of your presence right now. Like, your presence is a gift. And so thank you so very much. All right. So on Thursday mornings... you get to hear some of my like saved up over the week headlines because I get to talk with Dr. Peter Kapsner and um, because he is a dear friend and a wonderful colleague in ministry um, and has a sense of humor. I save up headlines for Peter that, you know, I just couldn't spring on just anyone. So here you go. In Florida, a team of biologists uh, recently hauled in the heaviest Burmese python ever captured in Florida. So just by the way, Burma is not close to Florida geographically, and yet there is this invasive species of Burmese pythons because because people are ridiculous, and they bought Burmese pythons as pets when they were small, and then when they got too big, people just let them go in Florida. And now they um, it's a really like overwhelming Burmese python problem in the Florida Everglades and out from the Everglades into, um, well, really all the way across the state. So this female python weighed in at 215 pounds and is nearly 18 feet long. She had within her 122 developing eggs. So in case you ever wondered, how many baby Burmese pythons does one big mama Burmese python have? Well, apparently 122 at a time. Now, how do you find the needle in the haystack? This is where you ask a biologist the question, if you want to, if you want to, because the girls are bigger than the boys, by the way. And so if you want to catch them like the mother of all Burmese pythons, how do you find her? Well, you put a tracker on all the boys because all the boys are going to go and find the best girl. So there you go. Um, I figured this is a good headline for Peter because he understands that if you want to find girls, you follow boys. There you go. And then I have this fantastic headline. Uh, apparently, and I want to say this, I want to tell you this news story because it's culturally relevant and I want to do so in a way that doesn't sound like I'm making fun of the people who are suffering with this particular kind of dysphoria. And so let me figure out a way to gently say that the mermaid subculture is growing. We have talked about people who identify as mermaids and uh, that this this is a a way that people are now seeking to live um, as half human and half fish. And there's a serious confusion and delusion going on here. But let's also confess that it's at some level 
kind of humorous and entertaining. And so uh, that 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 line that exists there for us between finding something silly and ridiculous and a little bit fun and then recognizing that beneath that there is a, a genuine crisis of identity um, going on when you fail to understand who you are as an image bearer of the living God. But the headline that I want to use as my transition to the conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner is this one. Trumpet the the Bloodhound has won best in show at the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show. First time that a bloodhound has ever won. Uh, he emerged from a tough group of fellow champions to become the first of his breed to claim the top prize. And he is introduced as a magnificently berinkled and bejoweled Bloodhound, which I thought was just a good transition to a conversation with our magnificently berinkled and bejoweled Dr. Peter Kapsner. My favorite merman or bloodhound or magnificently berinkled bejoweled friend who is not an invasive species from Burmese. <laughs> Burma. <laughs> oh, Burma. I'm, I love I'm you, so, man. Yeah. I love you. Thank you, Paul, for that correction. For yeah. sure. For sure. Hey. I'm so glad I had 90 seconds to recover from from, <laughs> from your headline reading there today. Oh, wow. I just kept thinking, uh, first of all, that I would love to hunt those pythons. But uh, honestly, I think I would last about a minute. It would get around my ankle and start constricting and I'd be dead almost immediately. So no a, chance there. It's a it's a big thing. You can go and participate. Thing. Yeah, it's a big thing because <clears throat> the invasive species thing is a is a real deal. It is a real deal. Uh, OK, so. um I don't have a good transition here to yeah. a, a conversation about uh, the month that we are in and, you know, the progression of um, sexualization in the Pride Month ads, advocacy, parades, things that people are willing to post. Talk with us about sort of the danger that we face as we become a people who in the words of the prophet Jeremiah, have totally forgotten how to blush. Yeah, boy, those are some interesting headlines you sent me, Carmen. Um, and I, I guess I wasn't as aware of what some of the companies have been doing by way of advertising during Pride Month. I know it's been out there and more and more and more companies are starting to do it. And it's it's making its way into every area of life. It's, it's purely a business decision, of course, for so many of these companies. And I think what you, you hit on it, um, they're pretty explicit and downright lewd in some of the slogans that they choose to use or some of the ways in which they try to tie their product, whether it be uh, an athletic shoe or Burger King or whatever it happens to be into the whole LGBTQ community. They use a lot of innuendos. And uh, I, I think you've, you've said it well. We, we've just gotten so far afield. It's, it's something you and I have talked about over the years about how we almost get bored, don't we, with whatever is shocking at some point. Uh, the, whatever is shocking grabs our attention sexually. It's different than the norm. And, and all of our eyeballs turn, to it for, uh, turn towards it for a while. But then it kind of goes blah and meh and blase. And we have to get increasingly, I suppose, exotic in some ways 
um, in order to maintain that same kind of um, hormonal, adrenaline, emotional rush related to it. So I think we see some of that. I think there's a whole theology of sin, actually, that underpins that that you and I could talk about, I'm sure, at length. Um, the flip side of it that I thought was interesting is there's been some pushback from the LGBTQ community saying that we don't want to be overly sexualized. And uh, and I understand that to a point. I genuinely do. I think there's something there. But on the flip side of it, I remember when Hallie and I were in London several years ago and we happened unexpectedly and, and unwittingly to um, wander into ground zero of the great gay pride event that year. We just didn't know what was happening. We were simply walking to the theater that night. And I would say this, that um, I don't know what else was going on for sure other than a profound expression of sexuality. I mean, it the, what people were wearing, how they were behaving, it, it was all reduced down to sexuality. And I think that's really concerning about how much of our identity is being taken up by how we perceive ourselves sexually. So it's an interesting time, isn't it? And, and it's more than interesting. It's sad. It just I think it makes me sad how what you just said, we're so far afield um, from our original intention. It's hard to even know how to claw our way back. Okay, I think that um, how we feel, our affect, I, I do think that's important. And I know that for me personally, Peter, there was this point in time when I went from being kind of disgusted and outraged Mm-hmm. to feeling like pity. Mm. I mean, like sadness and grief. Agreed. And so um, I think that's a conversation for each of us to have before the Lord. Like, Lord, how do you feel about these people who are denigrating themselves publicly in such um, demonstrative ways? And then let me feel that. Because if I have a heart that's broken for them, um, I I not only treat them differently, I have a different motivation to reach out in ministry versus, yeah. uh, you know, what I might by natural inclination be um, prone to do. Yeah. Boy, I think that's really spot on, Carmen. I'm, I've been compelled the last few years to look at how God interacts with his people and especially uh, God made flesh in Jesus, you know, and Jesus says that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I think if we take that seriously, then we see, like you just said, how is Jesus handling different situations? And it seems like sort of his hot anger, as it were, tends to be reserved almost exclusively to people who are in positions of leadership, especially religious leadership, who are leading children astray. There, there does seem to be this hot anger, you brood of vipers, you Pharisees, or turning over the tables in the temple, like that kind of anger. But he also, he, he tends to have much more of what I think you just said, a, a really sad response. And, and that scene where he's looking over Jerusalem mm. and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to have gathered you under my wings um, as, as a mother hen would her chicks, and yet you would not have me. And I just suspect, given what his tables were like, where he invited people to eat with him and who he hung out with and who he was trying to minister to, he wasn't doing those things to approve of and celebrate the way of life, but he was doing that to try to bring a different answer into the midst of this human cry. And and I think what you just said is so profound, Carmen, to ask God to to develop within us the heart about how he sees these things from the inside out. I do think we'd probably find ourselves not in a position of embrace and celebration, but in a in a place of coming towards and drawing near and and compassion and and pity and concern and desire in a in a different kind of way that wouldn't just be this dismissive anger that I think sometimes people have. So Mary in Seattle texted in a prayer that we'll use as our transition out of this conversation. 
Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for making us in your image. Thank you for providing the way we can be saved, redeemed, adopted, irrevocably as your children. Help us to see others as made in your image. Help us show others how much they are loved by you and that they are made in your image. Help us to show genuine interest in those you lead us to interact with and teach us to share truth in loving and winsome ways. Amen. Praying this morning with Mary, who's listening in Seattle, wherever you're listening um, right now, let's uh, be, be presenting to the Lord the concerns of our hearts. We're talking with Dr. Peter Kapsner. This is Mornings with Carmen. wants to be a millionaire? No, no. Who wants to be a billionaire? Come to find out, not very many of us actually want to be billionaires. That's the uh, new new research that, that says, you know what? Um, we're not actually driven purely by consumerist motivations. We're talking with Dr. Peter Kapsner this morning about Uh, Well, what's in the headline news and bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day? So, Peter, um, not everybody still wants to be a billionaire, but some people do. Yeah, that was pretty interesting headline, wasn't it? That um, the the assumption that the human being, what's deepest and truest in us, is that we're filled with an insatiable list of wants, and uh, and even some societies are built on that idea. They grow economically because of that, and the numbers were were maybe counter to that. That not that many people at the end of the day are motivated to try to become crazy wealthy along those lines. I think that was actually pretty heartening that people have uh, perhaps a different set of desires than what often get tapped into. I, I think a quick story about that just from yesterday in uh, my other sort of weird life where I run a, a business and I don't always understand why I'm in that role, but it's it's been a fun role. We have an employee who grew up in Guatemala. Uh, he does quite a bit of missions work still uh, within our local community. And then he was back in Guatemala recently too. And we spent probably 15 minutes as a team as he just debriefed what life was like in Guatemala. And I think I just underestimate um, how much or how, how different some people really see the world just based on the context in which they find themselves. Their, um, his description and his love for family and a way of life and simplicity and beauty. I, he, he, he showed me pictures of waterfalls in Guatemala that just took my breath away. Uh, the coffee that he brought back was absolutely absurd in terms of how good it was. And I, I saw a different version of what a person can be that isn't reduced down to a series of desires that just need to be filled day in and day out. And uh, it was just a really lovely conversation with him just to get a window into a different way of life. All right, Peter, you and I have a conversation teed up to have about sovereign self-oppression, but my sister just texted me and reminded me that I have a personal Python story. <laughs> well, then there's no, there, and, we can table the I, other one. I, oh, I feel man. like, I feel, I feel <laughs> like having that. been reminded of this, she's like, did you tell the Python story? And I'm like, the Python story? And she's like, don't you remember the night that our neighbor on the other side of the hedge called dad to bring his shotgun because there was a Python in there? <laughs> in there. Okay, so so I don't remember like this is when you know you're you're recalling a story from your personal history and you like remember some details but not all of them. So um yep. so I'm in junior high 
It's the middle of the night, and there's a, and then all of a sudden there's a lot of commotion. So, like, we're up because there's, like, you know, a lot of commotion in the house at an unusual hour. And we lived in a neighborhood where um, behind our house, so the people behind our house lived on a cul-de-sac, and so there was a hedgerow between our backyard and the side of their backyard. I don't know how else to describe that. And there was a passageway through the hedgerow because their grandkids lived at their house, and, you know, you needed easy passage to go see each other. So, um what I recall, and, and my dad um, had uh, guns because he hunted, and so our neighbors obviously were aware of that. And so Mr. O'Neill calls my dad, it's the middle of the night, and asks him to, to bring a shotgun because there's a huge snake in their laundry room. And oh, my word. <laughs> a huge snake in their life. That's, that's what I recall. And my dad's like, huge snake. We're in Florida. I'm grew up in Tampa. And um, so... Now, we didn't in those days have this, like, ability to, like, communicate with your whole neighborhood all at once and find out, like, whose pet snake this is that has, like, you know, is 30 feet long and has wandered down the road, right? I have no idea who in the neighborhood had such a snake. But suffice it to say that after this event, they didn't have a snake anymore. But it had, it had like, wound itself up, um, not just behind the washing machine and the dryer, but up onto the windowsill. And that, that was where my dad took his shot. And come to find out, if you do that, you can blow the whole side of somebody's, like, laundry room out. Because the power of that snake, when it convulsed, um, it, it didn't just take out the window frame. It took out, like, the framing of the wall. Anyway, there you go. That is my personal Python story, and I'm so glad my sister reminded me of it. That is genuinely amazing. There's nothing better for me than when a guy gets intensely focused on one singular thing <laughs> right. to, to maybe the detriment of all of the surrounding potential impact. And so right. clearly there was a shot to be taken. Yeah, but I feel like there's collateral damage. And don't you feel like there's potentially like a farmer's um, insurance ad in that? Okay, because you that, like, you're so right. I mean, right? Because I, I can see Aaron Rodgers like presiding over. This we've seen this. We've done shirt. this. Python totally. in a windowsill. Neighbor brings his shotgun over. Like you can totally see the farmer's guy being like, you know, yeah, we've we've seen that. We've, but I bet it. I bet it woke you guys up, right? Oh, I mean, and the I, whole I neighborhood. Think, I mean, we lived. Uh, well, let's uh, just say that we lived in a in a suburban neighborhood where there was no gunfire <laughs> on any sort of like. A, oh yes. Oh no. It was quite an event. You can't discharge uh, yeah. a we- I mean, oh yes, the whole list, the <laughs> I, whole I, list. Oh yeah. yeah. Now I'm not. It's becoming more clear to me the memory. So Tiana, <laughs> thank you for the reminder that yes, indeed, I did have my own personal Florida Python story to tell. And thank you so much. There you go. We're gonna have to get um, back to sovereign self-expression with Merman uh, Kapsner next week. I think that's totally fair. I think this is this is a worthwhile diversion because I, I want to say, Carmen, I don't want to live under the threat of death from the animal kingdom like on a daily basis. But there is something that would get me up in the morning if I was worried about a, a python in the windowsill. So I'm, I just what a great story. There you go. That's and you amazing. want a guy like Larry next door. That's I, all totally. I have to say. You totally, you, you totally want 100%. him. Hey, yep. Dr. Peter Kapsner, thank you as always so much. You bless us. Uh, we'll talk with oh, you again soon. The best. Yep. See you soon. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. He put that hunger in your heart. He put that fire in your soul. His love is the reason. Well, good morning again. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen. Um, so 
We are in a transition uh, here at the University of Northwestern St. Paul at the highest of leadership levels as we are anticipating the retirement of Dr. Alan Curitan. And so we thought it would be fun to have Alan and Gail with us just to talk about finishing well and transition um, in life and ministry. And so let's just think about that for just a moment. When's the last time that you made a life transition? A big one or a small one? And then let's talk about how we trust God in the midst of those life transitions. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. What a treat to be in studio this morning with Dr. Allen and Gail Curitan. Good morning, friends. Good morning, Good morning, Carmen. What a delight. What a delight. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about the ministry opportunity that you've had here at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. We're going to talk about the life transition you are in the midst of. And I'm finishing well, but you're not really finishing the whole thing. You're just finishing this thing. So, Alan, just talk with us about this where we are in this transition and mm. it's, it's happy times. Yeah. Yeah. In some respects, it's a happy times. Yeah. Uh, Gail and I were just talking about it last night at dinner in the sense that, uh, uh I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, but at the same time, I'm uh, tears in my eyes in the sense that I'm leaving something that I dearly, we both have dearly enjoyed doing. So, but you know, like, like I shared with the, with the community, you know, in Ecclesiastes, there's a time here for every season under heaven. And so this is just time. 20 years is, you know, the average tenure for a university president is just 6.4 years. So to be here 20. So we're like triple blessed, like triple plus. <laughs> this is like a triple plus. Or just, a, or, or I have a lot of tenacity, something like that. But anyways, uh, 20 years is long enough. And so it's time to hand off a baton. We've selected uh, my uh, successor, and I'm really looking forward to getting to know Dr. Hornbeek, and um, uh, he's on campus uh, the last couple of days, you know, getting ready for his preparation. But it's time for Gail and I to move on to our next, uh, as David mm-hmm. Brooks calls it, our second mountain. And I so, love it. Yeah. And uh, just to help our listeners understand, David Brooks is a is a columnist for the New York Times. He's a Messianic Jew. He writes on some very wonderful perspectives. And he wrote a book uh, following up his book called Road to Character called The Second Mountain. And that's the challenge for those of us who are in our 60s and 70s. Uh, it's on, based on the premise that retirement is not a biblical concept and that we just don't check out. And so he's saying, look for your second mountain. And so my prayer time right now for both Gail and I, is that we find our second mountain. And Lord, would you give us that second mountain? Because he's led us the entire way through our our 43 years in, in Christian higher education. So uh, we're looking forward to him leading us uh, to that next chapter. So it's going to evolve. It's going to happen. So we're just waiting to see what opportunities come our way. So um, I want to talk about all of those things. I want to okay. talk about Corbin Horn, Hornbeek in just a moment, okay. but let's not get ahead of ourselves and down the road too far. Let's celebrate um, uh, the w- the changes that have occurred on this campus and in and in this ministry um, in twenty years. Describe mm. the campus of the University of Northwestern St. Paul and describe the reality of it twenty years ago when you arrived. 
Well, multiple things. You know, the, the wonderful thing about our ministry is that we combine both media and higher ed into one. So not only are we discipling our students and investing in them and preparing them to be leaders, you know, God-honoring leaders in the home church community world, so that's discipleship. But we also have this outreach that we call Northwestern Media, which is evangelism, you know, sharing the faith. So what, that's what I love about our organization is that we're not and, – and please understand, Carmen, I can live as an academic. I can live all day in the life of my mind. But God calls us to share the faith. Right. So, you know, and that's the beauty of your show. I, I love the intellectual and and also spiritual aspect of evangelism uh, that you do. But um, th- that's the beauty of Northwestern. So when I came uh, 20 years ago, the board was saying, help us mature and grow as an organization. And and my my skill set is I'm a builder. I'm not a maintainer. I'm a builder. So because I just shared with you, growth is a biblical concept. More people need to hear the gospel. Gospel needs to grow. The kingdom of God needs to grow. And so uh, we, we launched into that to grow. Okay, how do, we, how do we transition from a pretty good school into a better and stronger institution? And part of that had to do with building up our academics. Part of that had to do with advancing scholarship with our faculty in the sense of their production and who they are, which we've been able to do. I mean, the number of Fulbright scholars that we have each and every year just amazes me. Uh, um, and then we had to beef up our sciences because you can't have a comprehensive approach to education unless you, you're grounded in science, and that wasn't part of our DNA. I'm the first, I'm the eighth president at Northwestern, but I'm the first not a layman. So, you know, but I'm the first higher ed professional uh, that the board has brought in. So so it took on a different spirit in that direction. And so so part of the joy in the battle was helping the institution mature, which we've done over the years. And so on media, on the media side, it was just a basically it's like, okay, let's gather together. What are we doing well? Our, our station in Stockton, California, wasn't doing well. So we had the transition out of there. Uh, we spent 11 years in Sarasota. That didn't go over well. Uh, and so we concentrated back in the upper Midwest. And we had nine stations at that time. And then, you know, for 30 years, as Paul Ramsier was saying, we waited 30 years to get into Des Moines, the opportunity to get into Des Moines market. And in 2003, we did. And then later, a couple of years later, we got an opportunity to go into the Kansas City market. And we had been waiting also for the opportunity to get into Omaha because uh, Grace College of the Bible was selling their station, but they sold it to another entity. So we just waited a few more years until that opportunity door came open. And so now we're back up, you know, we're up to 23 stations. So co- we cover quite a bit of the upper Midwest. And, you know, I mean, you just had a, somebody from Seattle. Oh, she listens it. every day. Yeah, uh, that's every crazy. Day. I mean, it's well, 5 o'clock in the morning. And so I just asked Carissa um, Rogers yesterday, uh-huh. what's the current number? The current number is 100 countries. <laughs> people, people are listening in 100 countries. Yeah. So I know that we think about 23 yeah. broadcast yeah. signals at the uh-huh. top of a radio tower somewhere or standing on the top of a building or whatever. But what God is doing through digital media and streaming yeah. is is this, you know, yeah. 100 countries, people yeah. listening in every state. And 100 countries. And that's it, been part of our strategic growth. I mean, that's, it's amazing. So not only is it terrestrial, it's also... Digital. Extraterrestrial. Oh, I'm not supposed to say it that way. <laughs> digital. No, but yeah. it's also, you know, radio frequencies, but it's also virtual or digital, like uh, like you said. So that's been part of our strategic directive and objectives over the last, last several years. You know, th- this effort now to get into podcasting and do it and do it well, 
you know, that just opens up another door of opportunity for us for Northwestern Media. So here again, you know, what I love about Northwestern is that it's willing to do, uh, it's willing to take risks, it's willing to think outside the box, and, and we're willing to be entrepreneurial, and, uh, and we walk in faith. And God keeps, you know, giving us opportunities to do that. So enrollment, you know, enrollment, uh, we, I was here at 2,200 students. Uh, our, we peaked at 4,100. And with the de- uh, declining demographics that we're experiencing across the country due to the fact that people stopped having babies in the last recession back in 2008, 2009. And so we're not going to see an upswing in, in high school student numbers until the year 2031 or 32. So we're in this, uh, as I say, our seven years of famine, <laughs> if you will, in higher ed. So we're making adjustments and, and, and adapting, but now our enrollment's hovering around 3,500. And then, you it's know, good. it's a good, yeah. healthy number. Right, right. Yeah. And then our listening audience, oh my goodness, you know, it's gone from around 300,000 up to 1.6 million. It's incredible. Every week. Yeah, by God's grace. Totally by God's grace, God's grace and uh-huh. because of really effective godly leadership under your um, just well, wonderful shepherding. Thanks. Um, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge in studio this morning with Dr. Allen and Gail Curitan. Uh, Allen has been the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul, which also is the, you know, the parent of this ministry here at Faith Radio in Northwestern Media. Um, and they are in the midst of a, a pretty major life transition after being here on this campus and involved in this ministry for 20 years, making a life transition to the second mountain. And so mm-hmm. we're going to be praying with them that God would reveal that second mountain um, to them as they uh, as they make this move. Gail, I'd love for you to just reflect on life transition, because in the 20 years, it's not just, you know, all the things that God has done in the ministry, but you know, God's done a lot in your family as well. Um, there are more people in your family than there were 20 years ago, and you have a different role there as well. Just talk with us a little bit about um, this, the life transition. Um, where do I begin? <laughs> when uh, we came here 20 years ago, 20, 2001, Al said, oh, Gail, it'll just be six years. So I thought, okay, well, this is good. Then we'll head back to family. Um, our two of our children live in Northwest Arkansas, and our oldest son and his family live in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. We um, <clears throat> we have eleven grandchildren, um, and so we are planning to move through this transition back south to Arkansas, and uh, we're just hoping to invest in uh, time with our grandchildren and our our children be available, but. Um, we're looking forward to that. We've uh, never really lived close to family, uh, to our to our parents when when we had our our children and and family. Um, so I'm looking forward to just being there with them and um, attending music concerts and plays so great, and right? yeah. like- athletic events and having food in our house. So we'll have grandchildren come and be able to eat, um, find, find their way to the refrigerator and pantry. Um, but, um, this is, this has been, a. it'll be interesting to see. I know that, uh, there won't be day to day scheduling that we've had for the last 20 years. Um, it's, that's kind of exciting to me to see that there'll be maybe a little more relaxation, but, um, I know it's going to be hard too, because, you you know you have things to do each day and um it'll be it'll be different it'll be a different kind of new things each day 
Exactly. So we're looking forward to that. But um, I love that. The 20 years here has just been, uh, I'm glad it's been 20 years. I'm glad it's been that long. Mm. Um, we've, we've met a lot of wonderful people. There's a lot of wonderful people, a lot of, uh, a lot of good things happening. Mm-hmm. And um, we, it's been an adventure. It's been an adventure for me to be able to do this alongside with Al. You're just precious. We um, we love you both so much. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment with Dr. Al and Gail Curitan. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Carmen LeBurge, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. I remember when I met Dr. Alan Curitan, we were both serving on the board of the National Association of Evangelicals, uh-huh. um, and he uh, is uh, has been and continues to be a kindred spirit in terms of concern for um, the Christian witness in the marketplace of ideas here in the United States of America and around the world. Um, and Alan has served so faithfully in higher Christian ed, and he serves beyond the local campus of the University of Northwestern St. Paul, and he serves in really significant ways on the national stage. And so, Alan, I just want to give you an opportunity to reflect on that as well. I mean, we could do an alphabet soup thing because you have a number of organizations that you have served nationally. So um, just talk with us about um, those experiences in, in higher ed, uh, Christian higher ed in America. Well, I'm amazed, you know, you get to, you get a chance to be reflective and you look back and I'm amazed at the opportunities God's given us. But here again is the opportunity to say, Lord, you, here I am, use me, right? And so basically that's what my approach was. So, you know, with most universities or colleges, you have an athletic conference that you're part of. Well, our athletic conference was kind of, you know, in chaos when I arrived and so one of my objectives was to try to solidify it. And so I partnered with a couple other fellow presidents within the conference to try to solidify that. We made the transition from an organization called NEI over to the NCAA and felt like that was a good move for us since we don't offer scholarships. Our students at Northwestern play for the love of the game. That's it. Uh, they're not paid, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so uh, I got involved with that, and then the opportunity was to chair that you know athletic conference title. And because I chaired that, I was on the advisory group for the NCAA Division Three. So I got involved with that. Then the next thing I know, they asked me to be on the Division Three Presidents Council. So I joined that, and then they said, "Well, we're looking for someone to chair this chair this council." As and I and I thought, "Well, you know, Lord, whatever." And so next thing I know, Dan Dutcher, who's the vice president of Division Three. He contacts me and says, Al, would you be willing to serve as chair of Division Three President's Council? I'm like, sure, you know. But it was an opportunity for me to be Christ in that environment. And, and trust me, there needed to be <laughs> someone speaking from a Christ-centered worldview in that organization. And so it was a, it was a wonderful door of opportunity. I later, uh, because of that role, was on the board of directors for four years and sat in that position for four years, but was on the council for seven. So it was it was good for me in that sense on a national level, uh, and especially during some of the discussions we were having regarding religious freedom and bathroom bills and things like that, transgender. So um, I, I, when we left uh, the organization uh, and stepped off the board, Gail and I were 
conversing with the president and vice president of that organization, and they basically said, Al, we're going to miss you. You are the conscience of the board. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, you know, I, you know, the Lord was able to use me in that capacity. And so I've always argued, too, that we as Christians need to be at the table. We need to be at the table of non-Christian uh, organizations so that we can have influence there. City councils, local governments, you know, uh, library boards, things in our community so we can be salt and light wherever we're planted and not just stay over in our holy huddles because we're, it's protected and it's safe and, and everybody loves being there. So it's kind of like you got to get out there and you got to lead. And so, uh, this was one, one of those wonderful opportunities. I also got involved with Campus Compact. Uh, Campus Compact is an organization that seeks to build uh, civil uh, leadership within the organization for universities and college students. And then um, on the evangelical side, like you just said, you and I were members of the National Association of Evangelicals. I, you know, my, I had a friend who was leading that organization, a dear brother in Christ, and he said, Al, I want you to be on the board. I was like, oh, oh okay, Lord, give me an opportunity. And then the next thing you know, someone on the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability said, would you please join this board? I said, okay. So, Carmen, there's a, there's a pattern here that I think the, the Lord is having me involved in some of these organizations. And then what's interesting is I usually end up chairing that you know, organization, you know, type of thing. So, so I'm like, okay, Lord, lead me now in this second mountain. What is it you want me to do? So I'm really looking forward to, I just got on the ECFA board, so I'm really looking forward to doing that. But I'm I'm also looking forward to doing some other things. In a previous experience, when Gail and I were living in Arkansas, I got involved with the chamber. Sure enough, I ended up chairing that, you know, and, and so it was just different experiences along the way. But God uses you and puts you in a spot, and you just say, okay, Lord, here am I. Mm-hmm. And then you get to be a part of it. Yeah, and your yeah. willingness, though, to your willingness to be involved and then to really invest and then to lead when yeah, asked right. is very significant. So right. thank you for that. Yeah. Love to give you yeah. the opportunity to um, just talk about um, the next uh, person who is going to sit in that office that you're currently sitting in. Um, just give us, you know, 60 seconds or so um, on the new incoming president. What do we um, what do we need to know about Dr. Corbin Hornbeek as we as we pray into this transition? Uh, different than uh, myself, he is a musician, uh, undergraduate degree in violin performance, which is definitely outside of my comfort zone. Uh, his I'm master- envisioning you with a violin right now, and that is a humor to me. <laughs> right, Go right. ahead. More of a cello guy, right? <laughs> so he also uh, has his master's of divinity from Covenant Seminary out of St. Louis, which I love. And then he got his I uh, was able to secure his Ph.D. in leadership from Dallas Baptist University. So he's got a reform background, you know, and then also an, a dispensationalist background. So um, I like that. He's young, young, 53. <laughs> I consider that young nowadays. Um, he's a runner uh, and has a wonderful testimony of God's faithfulness because he had a massive heart attack at the age of 37. Mm. And... Um, when you you know to have a heart attack that young, and and he he realizes that every day is a gift, and so, but he's been involved with Christian organizations over the years. He spent time uh, on the staff of Navigators, uh, and recently, for the last uh, fourteen years, has been involved at Azusa Pacific University in Azusa, California, another faith based institution. And so he's uh, he's just matured and grown through the years professionally and personally, and and so this is this is a great choice for us. I like his heart. I, he he really um, kind of 
is after the same passion I have. It's all about the mission. It's all about the mission of the organization. And and one of my goals over the years has been to keep us focused on our mission, right? Which for Northwestern Media is to lead people to Christ and nurture people in their spiritual journey through Christ and our media, right? So he's all about the mission and loves the mission of Northwestern and, and identifies with it. So that's what I get really excited about that. Also, I've noticed that he has a significantly much more energy than I have right now. <laughs> So this is a good transition. Yeah, it's, it's a good, good transition. It's yeah. good. Yeah. We, um, as we uh, say goodbye to you um, here, um, I, I'd like to pray you out. Would that be okay? <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. Include Galen on Absolutely. Too? Right. Absolutely. Father, we come before you. We give you thanks for um, for Al and for Gail. We thank you for the Curitans. You are um, our Father God. And we come before you and ask that you would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. Give them um, the eyes of your heart. Reveal to them the second mountain. Mm. Grant that they would know the hope to which you have called them, the riches of Christ's glorious inheritance. Give them immeasurable joy. Give them the gift of time. Thank you for the blessings of the last 20 years. And Father, thank you for the future filled with hope you are now setting before them. Grant them grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. Al and Gail, thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. joy to spend time with you this morning or this afternoon or this evening, wherever you are and whenever you are listening. You can share today's um, conversation with others. You can grab the re-air, which we call a podcast, at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you get your podcast. It'd be great if you subscribe. Thank you uh, to those of you who are sharing this ministry with others and checked in earlier on the text line to say, hey, I was with a new believer and I shared the ministry. She downloaded the app. She's listening today. So let's be praying for people who are brand new, um, not only to uh, our listening fellowship here at Mornings with Carmen, but new to the faith. Welcome, welcome, sisters and brothers in Christ. What a joy is set before us as we love one another well and and then love one another before the world, that they too would come to know the one who loves us best, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.